Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Breaking the Barrier podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Zach. Again. Yeah. Because we tried to start a couple of seconds ago, and it looked weird on the computer thing. Yeah, I didn't like where it was going, because it was like, normally, the music track is on a different track, and in this particular instance, it was recording on the same track, and I was like, ooh, that's going to be interesting if we record, like into the second part of the music and it's just everything gets lost and we only know how to do this one way yeah if it doesn't work we just stop and go back to the start pretty much so you missed some gold in the previous two three hours of recording it was yeah absolutely the best three hours we've ever done it you'll never hear never hear it it's gonna be the lost files instead you're stuck with this crap indeed yeah well how you been not bad not bad i've um uh, you know, we're leading up to the half marathon, which we'll talk about. Two weeks? Uh, no, it's like this weekend. It's this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I'm a good friend. Good good job. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, I had my final kind of workout today. The rest of the runs this week will just be real easy. I did like a incline treadmill. Like, I think Kirk just doesn't believe in the art of the taper. Or he does. He just doesn't. Because this is not our A race. I think he's just kind of still trying to figure out what I can do. Yep. Uh, and so today's uh, treadmill workout was like 15 minutes warm up, then two minutes hard at 15% incline, then complete rest for a minute, do that four times, then one minute hard at 15% incline, complete rest for a minute, do that four times, and 15 minute run. It was crazy. Uh, not too crazy, but I was wet. Okay. Um, firstly, yuck. Too much information. Don't need to hear that. Wow, I meant um, sweaty, you dirty man. Well, you know, I don't know how excited you get by this stuff. Fair enough. Um, secondly, one of the things we're here to talk about today is the taper leading up to a big race. That don't sound like no taper to me. That no, it's tough. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> tough. But he did <laughs> he did describe it as uh, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago. He said, "Look, you have this workout the week of your race." Don't do it at, quote, sell your soul pace, unquote. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. it was meant to be probably a little bit easier than it normally would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, uh, we are tapering. Like, I'm not, so my Monday workout was just the regular recovery, 13 kilometers. Tuesday was a, just a cross training day. So no running, just 60 minutes of cross training. I just mm-hmm. did some time on the elliptical. Yep. Uh, and then today's workout. Tomorrow will be an easy six kilometers. Friday will be complete rest yep. Saturday a uh, shakeout run okay and how long's your shakeout run going to be uh, about 5k okay 5K. yeah so so yeah that's um the other big news for me uh, that's what a taper looks like folks that's, goodbye. Good, goodbye goodbye see ya <laughs> <laughs> um this week uh well Sunday I kind of hit a personal goal of mine that doesn't really have anything to do with running so about four or five years ago I started my current bout of fitness and training mm. not really running but just getting fit uh, and I was about 90 kilograms, and it was mostly fat. Mm-hmm. And so I went all the way down. You know, I've been down to the 72, mm. the 74 kilometer mark, uh, kilometer, kilogram <laughs> mark, just to see what that looks like in terms of body fat and really working my body in a different way. And I've gotten some great results. You know, I had the rippling things, which was awesome. Um, and then, so over the past about 12 to 14 months, I've been working my way back up yep. to 90 kilograms. But... Different 90. Different 90 kilograms. Yeah. And the other day I hit it. Your 90 is very different to my 90. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. you're, yeah. What are you, what, are you 90 now? I'm 90 now. You're 90 now. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I hit it and I, I put like a, a side-by-side of the 90 that I was five years ago and the 90 that I am now. It's yeah. a very different ball game. It's kind yeah. of cool. So now I'm going to start heading back down right. and uh, tightening things up again because I don't really like being up here it's just mm. it's a lot of hard work yeah uh to be this heavy not that it's heavy like i'm still able to run fast it's an athletic and it's, heavy it's an athletic it's heavy. heavy right but yeah. the, it's just like it's kind of a hard thing to maintain yeah it's funny you get to that it's hard to maintain you get to too low it's hard to maintain so my homeostasis stasis stasis mm. is probably around 78 to 82 yeah i think maybe 84 even but yeah so that's my that's well done. Thank Excellent. You. Congratulations. I have my moments. You have your moments. How about you, man? How's your, how's your running going? Great. It's going great. I'm tired at the moment, um, but it's good tired. Yeah. Um, it's tired because I'm back working out, and like I said the other week, I'm working out without any pain in the foot. That's fantastic. Um, I'm just going to keep coming back to it, you know, and I don't want anyone to think that, you know, a cortisone injection is the magic answer that you must do to get better. Uh, because I didn't get it straight away. It took me a year of doing other stuff before we finally went to that with me and the doctor. But since I've had it, it just feels so good. And it's just so liberating to be able to run 
without pain. Do you find that because there's no pain, you're you're getting a little bit gutsy with stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm I'm really trying to stick to my marathon training plan. Yeah. And not do too much too early. But I really feel like I could do more if I had to. Yeah. Like, like I went out on the weekend. My long run was 22 k's. I did that after a 12 k Saturday with a fast park run. That's right. Straight off that, you know, uh, this week has been like a recovery run. Then my day of bike riding cross training, which is 140 k's or so. Is that all? That's all. Yep. Uh, And then this morning was hill repeats uh, at the Yu Yangs. And so I'm tired, but I feel like. I could, you know, I haven't yet hit my limit, mm. and I think because I'm building up slowly, I'll probably hit my limit in about four to five weeks or so. Yeah. Um, when I think the long runs get up to about thirty-four k's or so, but at that point, I've got a deload week straight after. Yeah. I'll get some recovery and then build back up again to the marathon. And is your so does this um, Nike Melbourne Marathon? Yes. <laughs> does that plan have interval work? Yes. So I'm doing interval works on a Thursday. So I'm. I'm shuffling my diary around mm-hmm. so that I can go to the track every Thursday night and do a speed session. And what's that? So are you trying to push, like, because I know that sometimes, like for me, mm-hmm. when I have like an interval workout, I like to push it kind of too hard and beyond my means. Yeah. Not every single one because that's not going to, have you started doing I'm that? trying to do my interval workouts at sub four minute pace. Nice. So I'm saying when I go out to do an interval at the track and this started with doing 1600 meter intervals, I'm like, well, if I can do four minute pace for 1600 meters, mm. then I should be able to do four minute pace or better for anything else we do, be it 400s or 800s or something like that. Yeah. So <clears throat> when I go into my speed workouts at the moment, I'm going in with a mindset, which is right. My pace on this interval is going to be at least four minutes. Um, and then I, what I'm going to try and do is hopefully that will increase my speed so that when I do my long runs, I can do them at a, at a fairly nice pace, um, you know, get comfortable with that, something around about 5.30 pace right for my long runs, and then hopefully that will put me in good position on race day yeah. to go somewhere in the, the low five-minute kilometres or so, which will put me around about, I don't know, 3.45, somewhere around there fairly comfortably. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and we'll definitely, we'll come back to the, mm. the pacing that you're doing. If we, so we have kind of a two, couple, things. two things we want to talk about today. I don't know if we'll get to both of them because both of them are, can be kind of in depth, but I want to talk about tapering and pacing today. Mm. So if we don't get to pacing today, we'll just make it on the next yeah. episode. If we don't get to pacing, we'll talk about pacing next week after your race and exactly. your pacing goes badly. Yeah, it's going to go great. It's, it's going to be, be great. I'm going to go like sub one hour for the half. Yeah. <laughs> so tapering. What, yeah. Is, what is what is tapering? Why do you do it? How do so, you spell it? tapering is spelled with one P. Yep. Uh, so T-A-P-E-R-I-N-G. Mm. Uh, so tapering is something that you do to reduce your intensity and your load leading up to a race, and the reason that you do it, it is it allows your body to recover, to recuperate, to get some energy back. Because as we all know, we don't get faster on a workout, we don't get bigger in the gym, we get bigger and faster when our body recovers. And and tapering allows us to do that leading up to a big race effort, and that can last a taper anywhere from one to two weeks. Sometimes I've seen people do it as much as three weeks. Mm. I wouldn't go much longer than that, I would think. No. I mean, they say that the reason why three weeks, some people start their taper there is there's a bit of a, a saying, a myth, a science that with three weeks to go before a race, you can't get any fitter. Mm. All you can do is injure yourself yep. or hurt yourself through an accident or overtraining or something like that. So you, the muscles which you break down during a workout three within three weeks of a, of a race or an event, they won't recover in time. They won't rebuild in time, so you won't get the benefit of strength. Now, I don't know if that's a precise science, like it's exactly three weeks, Mm. or it's more of a guideline, but some people start their taper three weeks out. Um, It depends what you're used to. Different different people have individual preferences. Right, and it's like, it also depends on the race, too. Like, you're not going to start a a taper for a 5K three weeks out, because, yeah, (laughs) like, why would you? And that's like, with your as you were saying before, with your training, you're building to a marathon. Mm -hmm. So, a 21K run, as... 10 weeks out from a marathon, you don't really need to taper for that. No. You've just got to do the ma- the half marathon and go, right, in my normal long run plan, this could be a 30K week. Yeah. Instead of doing a long run, easy pace 30K, I'm going to do a faster 21K. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's why I think I haven't had a big taper leading up. Yeah, sure. We've taken a couple of days off and switched some things around. But really, you know, I've been doing, you know, um, uh, 25 and 26 kilometer runs. And so... 
this is just going to be a 21 kilometer workout. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's easier than the long runs you've been doing, but you'll lift the intensity because you're going to have a bit of a nudge because exactly. it's, it's, it's a race. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, with your taper, you're not actually stop. You're not stopping completely. You're just easing up exactly mm-hmm. what Zach just said to avoid uh, to avoid injury, to avoid burnout. So. You're thinking if you run five days a week, you can still work out five days a week, but maybe you either take three of those days and continue mm-hmm. to run, and the other two days you just do cross training or, yeah. you know, just really, really decrease the intensity. Yeah, like you know. the, the week out before uh, an event, rule of thumb, 50%. Yeah. Like 50% intensity, you know. You can still run five days, but don't run the normal high mileage that you would do, reduce the mileage, reduce the intensity by 50%, see how that goes a week out. And if that doesn't work for you because you're like, oh, I'm still too tired, well, then think about doing a two-week taper. But what you don't do is you don't drop to 50% two weeks out and keep it at that. You back it off slowly. A taper taper is a linear thing. Exactly. Like Some people do do a taper where they're like three days out, they just stop everything and don't move. Mm. That's one extreme. The other extreme is people um, do a real fast taper three weeks out and then just suddenly realize, oh, they feel crap when they get to race day yeah and i would i would argue that stopping completely is probably not great like there are people that i know that will religiously not run the day before a race and i've seen some of the best in the world do it yeah yeah i mean i i i would say like i'm like run before a race for me because i feel like i need my body to, my joints and everything to get that yeah. movement rather than going in completely cold after a couple of days of nothing but that's just me i've got the 10 percent rule i do a shakeout run yeah that's about 10 percent of the distance i'm going to do yeah so you know now except, unless you're talking about like a 100k ultra you're right. i wouldn't go do a 10k run before a 100k ultra but before a marathon i'd go do a 4k shakeout run yeah. you know and it would be it would take what 20 25 minutes yeah it wouldn't be that fast it would just be you know some a bit of a fart lick, a bit of a play a day yeah. beforehand. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. You can throw in strides. Yeah, uh, because that's you know you're gonna want to show up to that day. Your strides maybe mm. you go a little bit faster than your goal race pace, so that you don't mm. show up on the day shocking your body way too much. Mm. Do um, it on a, do it on a nice safe surface. Don't go run on like if you holiday to a marathon that's next to a beach. Don't go running on sand no. the day before your marathon. That's, no, that's dumb. And that kind of brings me into a, a really good point, like. You don't taper week or taper weeks not a great time to introduce new stimulus. <laughs> no, like just do what you're used to. Don't do anything too terribly new. No, no new cross training. You know, lots of people in taper week go. Oh, I'm not running as much, so I'll step up my strength training. No, bad idea because you're tearing muscles apart. Exactly, that you haven't been working. Don't start strength training during taper. Exactly, That's it's not a good. Good time to actually. You know, some people will cut it completely yep. or yeah, strength training yep. uh, or myself, you know, I'll reduce the load a little bit. Go back to body weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. So, you know, but yeah, you don't want to introduce new stuff because the point of a taper is to recover, not, you know, re-tear. Yeah. And the point of a taper is to be rested enough on race day, mentally and physically, to mm. use what you've done during training. Like, if you train all the way up to the event, you'll just be so tired, you won't be able to unlock it. No. You know, with a properly paced taper, you'll be able to unlock 100% of your potential versus, you know, we we don't um, train every day at 100% of our potential because that just wouldn't work. We'd burn out. So we train at a little bit below that. Well, we want it to peak on race day. We want to be able to unlock the 100% on race day, and that's where a taper can help reset you for that. Exactly. And you most likely, you will feel a little bit sluggish. Oh. Even on that last run before the race, you're probably going to feel sluggish. You might gain a little weight because you're not doing as much or you're not you know, going as intensely. That's okay. It's normal. So just, just make sure that you don't do anything drastic. Like, this is an episode in of itself, but carb loading... <laughs> just don't go crazy with it yep. like chances are again i think i've said this before but if you're tapering just eat the normal amount of carbs that you'd be eating anyway because that by itself is helping you to store extra glycogen because you're not burning as much off because you're not doing as much work yeah so you don't need to be eating a ton of rice and pasta and stuff the days leading up to your marathon because you'll gain too much weight and you'll feel really sluggish yeah keep everything as normal as you can yeah, you know, the, the normal, like when you're training for a big race or something, your diet will change. You may tend to eat more naturally during the weeks leading up to an event because you are training so much. Mm-hmm. When you back that training off by 80% and then 50% in the two weeks beforehand, you don't have to add food no. because you've taken out exertion. 
So the extra energy that you've got, your body will store and hang on to in glycogen because you're used to performing during training. It's not going to suddenly go to fat either. Exactly. The other alternative is don't suddenly diet during your taper no, either. No, no, definitely That's not. not good either. That's not good either. No. Uh, and the same thing goes with like hydration, right? You don't need to overhydrate. You know, the problem that people run into when they come to a few days before race is that they start overhydrating and overhydrating. And the problem with that is they're now diluting or getting rid of too many electrolytes in their system. Mm-hmm. So hydrate normally, yeah. drink some Powerade or Gatorade zero or regular, whatever you mm-hmm. prefer. Not so much that it just weighs you down, but don't drink so much water that it just destroys all the electrolytes that are in your body because that's that's when you're, funnily enough, if you drink too much water, you're going to get dehydrated. Yeah. So nobody told you that in school. Yeah. And and whilst we're on the topic of nutrition and everything during a taper week, um, a couple of weeks, a couple of days out, 72 hours, maybe 96 hours beforehand, um, be a little bit careful with what you eat. Mm-hmm. Stay away from spicy foods. Yeah. Stay away from too much fiber. Don't go try new food. It's not the time to go try that Greek place down the no. road for the first time. No. By this no. point, you should, you should have already practiced... A, what you're going to eat mm-hmm. or fuel with uh, on your long run, b- but also surrounding that run. So don't, not only don't try anything new race day, don't try anything new race week. No. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you know that you can handle big pizza and stuff like a couple days before your long run or your workout, go for it, man. Yep. Um, but if not, don't try to push it. Yeah, be a little safe. Yeah. yeah. And this is probably a, a COVID-specific taper advice. Maybe restrict where you go. That's a good the point. The week before a race. Oh, that's don't, a good point. Don't travel as much. Maybe work from home if mm. you can. Think about masking up when you go out. Hygiene. Practice really good hygiene. Your body is going to be shot after the race um, because it's going to have broken down its immune system with the exertion of mm. actually racing. But the week beforehand, you don't want to catch anything. No, you don't want to get 72 sick. 72 hours beforehand. No. And, and your body may do that naturally because it'll go, oh, I'm not working as hard, I'm not doing as much. It might feel like it's getting sick and sluggish, as Andrew said. Yeah. Um, so, you know, keep your, keep good food, good vitamins, don't but, overhydrate. Yeah. In, in that, um, related to that, you might even feel phantom pains and different things in yeah. your body that you're not, you're like... What is that? That's an injury or something new that's popped up. Kind of normal. Yeah, it's probably your muscles healing Yeah, because you're giving them a break. Exactly. Um, It's funny. We're talking about taper, and nothing in taper is really about doing new workouts or new exercise. No. It's about everything else. It's about everything, like just taking everything out, Yeah. feeling a little bit lousy. Yeah. (laughs) Taper sucks. Yeah. It's like mentally hard as well because... You've spent so much time leading up to this race, leading up to this race, leading up to this race, and all of a sudden, a week or two before this race, you're kind of, it's it's a counterintuitive thing where, yeah. okay, I've been working so hard, now I'm taking a break right before the big day. Yeah, and I'm just waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Why? And you can, like, you get like bugs under the skin, like you're going through withdrawal or something. Mm. It's like, I want to go run, I need to go run. Um, and that's good. I mean, if you get to a quote-unquote taper week and you honestly, you don't feel like that, Maybe you haven't trained as hard mm. to get to that. Like a taper is, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago how a recovery run is the reward for going hard at intervals. Yeah. A taper is the reward for going hard during training. That's right. But sometimes a taper isn't appropriate. Like sometimes I have gone into um, races when they're not going to be an A race and I've actually just continued to build mm. up until the week of the race um, as if it's a normal run and just treat the race like a long run. Yeah. You know, again, to be sim- be simple and safe 72 hours before the before the race but don't necessarily go out there and do a two-week taper you know if you've got a really short time to ramp up for a race you need to be reflect your taper appropriately exactly yeah exactly mm. uh, I think um, I think that's about it for tapering really yeah. tapering's mental yeah tapering me- it is it's a mental challenge because mm. everything is telling you that you should be running leading up to this race yeah. and it's also like you, you, you're going to find that because when you exercise, obviously you release endorphins and especially in today's world, if you're not doing that as much or doing yeah. that as hard, you might feel like a little bit down. Yeah. It can be sad. Yeah. It's mm. a bit of a, it's kind of a sad place to be sometimes, yeah. but 
and your family will hate you because you won't be training as much and so you'll be home a lot more yeah pretty and much and they'll be like Why, can, what, what's going on here yeah like, I'm tapering for the race like can you just race now can you just go yeah can you just, just leave go? yeah <laughs> with, with all that mental anxiety and, and stress it's actually a really good time to start visualizing the race mm. it's a great time to visualize the race and I don't just mean you know lining up at the finish line I don't just mean I'm uh, sorry at the start line finishing crossing the finish line I mean like everything like visualize race day like waking up getting your stuff ready the night before maybe even yeah. uh, waking up having your pre-race meal having your you know figure out your route to get to the race yeah. figure out where you're going to park visualize that and then go through the race in your head I'm talking as detailed as you can just get like the map out. get the map get out get the course map out plan out where you're going to surge where you think you're going to need to you know relax know where the aid stations are know so where the aid stations are that. exactly yeah. like Know that if you're doing like a, like a, I don't know, like a 5K, know that, okay, this is the point where I'm going to really start to feel crappy. Yeah. And so what is my decision going to be yeah. from that point? And work out logistics for after the race. Where is your family and friends going to meet you? Mm. Because depending on the size of the race, you're not going to be mentally competent to do anything at that point. So you need to find someone to help you and do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I normally start as a general rule for tapers. It races are normally on a Sunday. I would normally do my last workout of any real intensity probably the Thursday track session a week before. Sure. And that's about 10 days mm. out. And then I'd go into the weekend before the actual race, so the, the weekend before the race leading into the next week of taper. I'd do park run at just a cruisy pace, probably park run at race pace. Yep. So which should not feel like it's... Um, as easy as a long slow run, but yeah. it's also not as intense as anything you're doing at track. Yeah. So I do I do a five k at my race pace, then my Sunday long run would be half my long run distance that I've been doing up until that point. Nice. No more than half, and that would be really cruisy, really conversational. And then I do my other workouts in the week leading up to the event. I probably wouldn't do hill repeats. Mm. I probably wouldn't go to track and race track. Mm. Um, but I might go to track and do the intervals again at race pace. Yeah. And like we were talking about before, if I'm doing uh, intervals at track at sub four minutes, then jogging them at five minutes or so for my marathon race pace is going to feel pretty easy. Yeah. It should feel pretty easy four days before the event. Mm. And then uh, Friday, Saturday, normally I don't do any workouts at all except for like that shakeout run on the Saturday. Get up Saturday morning around about the time that the event's going to be the next day on Sunday. Yeah. Do my ten percent shakeout, um, and that's kind of what a taper week looks like for me. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd I'd back off things like cross training, so I probably wouldn't ride my bike to um, to the city and back and do any major cross training after about five days before the event. Yep. But I also wouldn't not do it on the Monday. Like if I was racing on a Sunday, I wouldn't not ride my bike on a Monday or Tuesday. I think this that's low intensity. It'd be like my last big thing, but you know, you, you can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I and I would even say, you know, there's nothing wrong with necessarily doing speed workouts the week of your mm. race, but certainly, yeah, you don't want to do it within 48 hours, like 72 hours, yeah. probably max. And it could, it can be good for you mentally. Yep. Only if you think your body can handle it. Correct. Uh, you know, if you think you're, you know, like for me, I know that. If I go and do a speed workout three or four or five days before a race, three days, let's say, mm. I, A, know that that speed workout is going to be shorter than a normal speed workout, but I also know that it's good for my mental yeah. clarity. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm comfortable hitting the this interval 20 seconds faster than race pace. That's cool. Yeah. Like I did a, you know, I did a speed workout uh, sort of long run on Friday last week, yeah. and that was just basically I did, you know, a 15-minute warm-up, and then I did... Five minutes hard at about 30 seconds faster than goal race pace. And then three minutes easy at just an easy recovery pace. And I did that eight times. Yeah, That's a hard workout to be doing the week before a race. But also for me, mentally a good thing. It is a good thing to do. Because I'm like, all right, I can hit this pace that is 30 seconds faster than goal race pace for, you know, overall I did about 16 kilometers. Like, yeah. I'm hoping that that translates into the race pace that I want to hit. Yeah. And we spoke, when we spoke about interval training a few weeks ago, we, we spoke about how you want to get out there and you want to make your interval as flat as possible. You don't want a really super uneven interval where you start off really fast and then you fade like mm. a, 
a dog at the end and all that sort of thing. But you know what? In the sprint workouts or the interval workouts, the week of racing, um, you could do that where you could go out there and like stride up to 90% or so and then ramp back down and spend yeah. the rest of it. So just sort of get the, get the speed workout, like concentrate on your form and your acceleration, but then don't try and hold it for the entire interval. Right. Ramp up, feel the speed, and then ramp back down. Yeah. You know, there's different ways that you can go do interval workouts so that you get to hang out the track with your friends or go to the place that you're used to um, and keep that routine going. But again, you're not trying to blow yourself out exactly. a week beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I guess that kind of leads, like, if we're talking about blowing ourselves out and mm-hmm. looking at pacing, I guess I guess we can start to head into pacing. Let's, let's, let's talk about pacing. So All right. Let's talk about, let's use a specific example. What are you thinking about for Melbourne Marathon half? Well, the half, okay, so I think the half, I'll I'll give you what my my strategy is going to be for the half, and then we'll go back to, uh, we'll start this bad boy, so. He's got a piece of paper in front of him, and it just has written in capital letters, panic. (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) Is that an anagram? It's a, it is. Professional and needed intensity criteria. I like that. That's very good. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, So for my half marathon. That's what I do for a living. I come up with anagrams. Is it really? No. No, I don't think so. You do the IT thing. Yeah. Where you bosh people. I also think that's an acronym, not an anagram. That's a good point. Yeah, awesome. Great talk. Can we cut this? I think we should. Yeah, sure. I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, so for my half marathon, my first uh, few miles, I'm going to take it pretty steady, mm-hmm. pretty controlled. Uh, I'll probably do this a little bit slower than race pace. I'm going to allow myself to run just with the crowd, through the crowd, but I'm not going to try too hard to get away from anyone. So it's really going to be important not to over-rev for me um, because... You know, in the first few minutes of that race, if you over-rev, even though it's going to be, you know, an hour and a half to two hours long, it will still come back to bite oh, you yeah. in the end. So There's no take-backs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's where I'll be really relaxed for the first few miles. So the second quarter, I'm going to settle into the pace that I want. So I will know what that is. I've obviously been practicing my strategy, my pace, so I'm going to settle into the pace that I want. And that's going to, for me, most likely feel pretty challenging. Mm. could even feel hard, but it should feel sustainable. The third quarter is where it's going to start to get challenging. So this is where if, if I've started out easily enough, I'm going to be able to have enough fuel in my tank to perhaps ratchet down the pace just slightly a little bit more or continue to maintain as much as I can. Mm. This is a good place to be if I've started out easily enough. This is also where I'm going to figure out if I've started out too hard. Yeah. And I'm going to start feeling it. Also a good place to maybe uh, engage another runner. So if mm. you find in the third quarter of the race, you find another runner that you're kind of ebbing yeah. and flowing with. Maybe you stick with that guy or gal and try to pass them. This is where you can. I'm, I'm going to start looking at that kick don't waste your oxygen talking to them though correct no no no. you have no friends on race day um and then the final quarter of the race this is where i'm hoping that if i've done everything correctly i'm going to be able to push for a strong final kick look no world records i think i'm you can Wow, that went from such an authoritative, factual statement of I, research. I, I, if, to... you, if you can find an, an example of this that proves me wrong, let me know. But I believe that no world records above 1,500 meters have a positive split result. So They're never slower in the second half. Correct. The so this is where I should be able to... It's going to be the most challenging effort, but I should be able to hopefully finish strong, really give a good kick. That's in a perfect case scenario. Yeah. So many things will go wrong with that pacing strategy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the first thing is going to be, you know what the start of a race is like. Exactly. And it's that's chaos. It's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And that's where you've got to really discipline yourself. So when you're pacing a race, so A, make sure that you have a solid warm-up. Because mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to just start a race just at a race pace or no, a little right. slow. Because... The, the, the shorter your race, the longer your warm-up should be. Yeah. If, if you're listening to this podcast going, oh, I think I'll have a pacing strategy for this race, a pacing strategy I think will help me perform at my best, then you should know by now that you need to do a warm-up. Yeah. My, if you're serious enough to be listening to a running podcast and planning a pacing strategy, you get serious. About your warm-up. warm-up. Yeah. My warm-up will be a, probably about 10 to 15 minutes running and strides at probably... 
30 to 45 seconds faster than race pace. Mm. So, and I'll do that a few minutes. I'll, I'll plan on having that completed maybe five to 10 minutes before the race. And, and, don't, and don't worry if you're the only one doing the workout. It, it still no. subscri- surprises me how few people actually do a warm up before these big no, races. So many people are just so sitting around. Just rock up and just go. And they're, yeah. they're in for a rude awakening because yeah. when they just sit around for an hour or stand around for an yeah. hour, they are going to shock their body into hell yeah. by going into, you know, from zero to 100. It's just not going to be... Sus- I, I'm warming up even in, when we get into the starting shoot because, you know, these races go off net time. Yeah. So it doesn't matter when the gun goes. What matters is when I cross the line. Exactly. And so I'm trying to find space further back in the shoot mm. unless I'm trying to find the, the official paces of the event because they do tend to push forward. But I'm trying to find a space during the thing where I'm doing leg swings, I'm doing squats, I'm not doing static stretching, but I'm doing some sort of, you know, high knee raises or something like that up until the race starts. Yeah. You know, some people go do a warm-up and then go stand in the starting sheet for 20 minutes. Not great. Not great. Not great. Not good for you. Um, So what what I'll do is I'm going to go through a couple of different race distances. So we've always... Obviously, already gone through the half. Yeah, that's that's my pacing strategy. That's a good strategy, I think, to go off. Breaking of. into quarters. Breaking into quarters, right? Yeah. Now, of course, as always, Zach and I are not running coaches. This no. is just based on our own experiences and, and mistakes we've made. And many. <laughs> so, um, so first of all, when you when you start a race, so everybody, okay, a quick science behind starting out really fast. You have about fifteen to twenty seconds in you that you can really go for a quick burst. So that has to do with phosphocreatin bonds and ATP and all that good stuff. But basically, you have about 15 seconds within you to go harder than you ever have and get past whatever crowd you want to get past. That replenishes within about two to three minutes, which is why you can do that during a stride. But if you continuously run, you're not going to replenish it, which is why the first 15 to 20 seconds of a race feel really good yeah. because you're working off of that uh, that burst. Yeah. This is something that is going to lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this thing feels good, but it is lying. Exactly. Me. Yeah. Because you will right away <laughs> after that 15 seconds. Now, pro athletes can do this up to 20 to 25 seconds, but after mm-hmm. that 15 seconds, you are going to have to figure out how to settle into a sustainable pace because that three-minute kilometer pace that you've never practiced, that you are all of a sudden running in the first 15 seconds of a race, is not going to stick with you. And, and guess what? You're still behind 3,000 people. So <laughs> exactly. they're not getting out of their way. Exactly. Now, <laughs> some of the best racers in the world know how to preserve this and not use it right away, and you can save it. Because that 15 seconds, mm. you can you can if you can save it and preserve it, you can use it a little bit later, but that's the first fifteen seconds of a race. That's what you're going. That's what you experience when you have that fast burst. So, it's fine to do that. It's fine to figure that out as long as you know that you only have fifteen seconds to play with that. Some people use that to get away from the crowd. Some people use that to just get themselves into a good uh, rhythm. But understand that after that fifteen seconds, you have to slowly settle in mm. to whatever pace that you want to settle in because you're not going to be able to stay there. Yeah. And your first quarter of a race is going to be crap with crowds. You're like your pacing. You're going to look down at your watch or whatever, and you're going to be off your pace in the first quarter oh, of the yeah. race. You're going to be like, oh, I'm meant to be doing five minute kilometers. I'm doing sixes because I'm stuck behind this person. So now I'm going to run here. I'm going to run do that. No, this is why we break it down mm. to quarters. What matters is your pace that gets you to the quarter point. Mm. So if you don't worry about the first kilometer, if you're running 40, worry <laughs> about where you are at kilometer 10. Right. The first kilometer, the first 10 kilometers is all about finding yourself and not blowing your 15 seconds. Correct. Yeah. So with a 5K. So, okay, a 5K... Different race, more likely to be smaller. Much, exactly. So yeah. you're, you're a little bit... It's going to be easier to find your pace a little bit quicker. Especially if it's as a track. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this is going to be a painful race. Like, a 5K is just a hard race. It's yeah. not long. It's not a long-distance race. It's also not a short race. And it's just long enough that you will push hard. And by the time you're finished, you're in Struggle Town or Miseryville and... Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It's just you have to be prepared about uh, Don't do 5K it. races. Come do marathons. They're easier. <laughs> Come to the dark side. We have yeah. cookies. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually true. It's true. <laughs> Food's better at a marathon That's than a 5K. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like an eating contest. <laughs> uh, so, again, you have to be smart about taking off. You have to have a plan. 
You're going to feel great in that first 15 seconds. Don't let it fool with you because, you know, you're not going to win a race in the first, you know, even 10 minutes, five, no. 10 minutes. You can lose it there, though. Oh, yeah. You can absolutely lose it there. Yeah. So what I would say to you is, again, at this point, if you're going for a fast 5K, your chances are you have done some fast workouts or intervals. So you want to use your knowledge based off of that. So, for example, if you've done 12 times 400-meter interval workouts. I would recommend basing your first mile, your first 1,600 meters off of that. So if you're somebody who runs a four-minute kilometer pace for your 400 meters, start your 5K at a four-minute to 410 kilometer pace. So that first couple hundred meters, though, just remember, it's going to lie to you. Really stick to your plan. So if you're wanting to start at four to 410 kilometer pace, start there. Because... Again, I will repeat this probably three more times. You will not win the race in the first couple minutes, but you will definitely lose it there if you're not careful. Yeah, a lot of your mental effort in the first quarter of a race will go to keeping yourself in check. Exactly. To not riding checks that your body can't cash in the last quarter of the race. I like that reference. That's nice. I understood that reference. That was a callback. That was nice. Back in the 80s. So once you get past that first mile, that first 600 meters, you're going to find that either you have a choice to make or you don't. You so quit the race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You can just walk off. <laughs> well, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that um, is an option. That is always an option. Yeah. Not a great one, but you no. know, we've done it. We've all done it. So if you think you're not sure that you can sustain the pace that you're on, that's probably right around where you want to be for a 5K. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm not sure if I can actually sustain this, but... I'm still going. I'm still going. So that's, yeah. that's kind of what a 5K should feel like. So... A 5K, you should always be working hard. Exactly. If you're cruising in a 5K, you've probably got some more to go. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're questioning the sustainability, stay there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't try to push up. Uh, no, don't go faster. Do, don't, and don't <laughs> try to let up too soon either. Yeah. You shouldn't feel like you can go faster in a 5K. No. But you also should feel like you're questioning the sustainability, not sitting there going, I'm about to die. It's about right. to stop. Exactly. It's a fine line. You will get it wrong. Oh yeah, <laughs> words of wisdom for breaking the barrier. Nice. Um, if you if you get to that first mile and you feel like that you won't be able to make it to the next mile at this pace, you probably started out too fast. Might be a little bit too late. Um, that first mile is going to tell you a lot. Yeah. So you're either going to a, well, actually three choices you have. A, you're going to get to that first mile and think I'm not sure if I can hold this pace. That's where you're like, yep, I'm. Just make the decision to hold that pace. Mm-hmm. B, you're getting to that first mile and be like, I definitely am not going to be able to hold this pace. You've started out too fast. You're going to have to really struggle for the next couple miles. You're about to have a bad day. Exactly. <laughs> but and, you can back it off. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, and it's amazing. Like, don't think that your whole race is gone. Back it off because you your body will recover. It is hard. Yeah. I will put a caveat on that, that once you over-rev the engine, it's really hard oh, to bring it back. If you blow the 15 seconds, that's not good. Well, no, that's no. not coming. But if you yeah. if you redline too hard in the yeah. beginning of a race, it's really hard to come back from it. Yeah. It absolutely is. If you're in a 10K or a half marathon, much easier because yeah. you have that time. In a 5K, it's a little bit trickier. Yeah. The third option is you're feeling really good. Yeah. You know that the pace that you're on is feeling great. You definitely know you can sustain it. That's when you have permission to push a button. That's when you have permission to say to myself or yourself, yep, okay, this feels really good. I'm going to push it a little bit. Yeah, or or hold it in reserve, like the nose in Fast and the Furious. Exactly. So sit there going, hey, you know what? I'm feeling really good, and I'm at the front of the race here. I don't need to go any faster than my competitor in this thing. I'm going to hang on to this and hang that's on right. to it. That's actually, go. that's a great reference. Yeah. That's a great reference um, uh, example, like the NOS mm-hmm. button. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to use it too soon, yeah. but, you know, if you've got it, feel free to use it. See, I can do movie references from the 2000s. Great job. It's not all the 80s. No, that's, yeah. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, then basically in your second and third mile of a 5K, there's not much else that you can do other than hold on. Yeah. Because a 5K... It's hard to negative split, 
as a as an amateur runner, and if you're listening to this, you are most definitely an amateur runner. Yeah. And if you're not, send us your podcast. Exactly, we'll listen to we'll, it. We'll listen to it. Yeah. Uh, but two and th- uh, mile two and three, or kilometer four and five, three to five, you're holding on. You're holding yeah. on for dear life. And if you can negative split a five k, more power to you. Yeah. I've not done that in a hard five k. I don't think uh, below twenty two minutes. I'm pretty sure everything below twenty two minutes has been a bit of a net gain in terms of time on the final kilometer. But that's that's a 5K. You're just finding that first mile is going to tell you everything you need to know where you're either going to back off and hope that you can recover, which most likely, be honest with you, you might not be able to. Some of you aren't going to make it. Right. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Or you're going to sustain that knowing that it's going to be hurting. Which is a gay. It's a good thing. Or, or, or you know that you're going to be able to push a button and go for it, mm. which is fine. You know, option two and three probably the best case scenario. But you've got to be really disciplined. Yeah. So then we hit into 10k. So the 10k is a really great race as an mm-hmm. amateur to start focusing on negative splits. And if I break this one down, so I would say at the five to six kilometer mark, you're so you you start out. You know, you start out before five and six kilometers, maybe a few seconds below goal race pace. Yeah. But five to six kilometers, you pick up the pace. You, you start holding on to that. And you maybe even, this is when you really start to look at other runners, like I said before. Mm-hmm. This is where your work is going to start, about halfway into the 10K. Like this is where, if, especially if you want a negative split, this is where the toughness is going to have to come in. Once you get to kilometer eight to 10, this is, again, this is where you're starting your kick. This is where you're going to find out if you started out too quickly mm-hmm. or if you're feeling good and you've got a little bit more in the tank because like i said if you've started out too quickly even though it's only it's say if it's on average if you're running a 40 to 60 minute 10k that first five minutes if you've gone too hard even though it's 35 to 55 minutes in the past is going to come back to bite you yeah absolutely so this is where you're going to figure it out this is why it's so important to really just I know I've said this already, but like if you don't pace yourself in the first few minutes of a race and not allow that, and and not allow that adrenaline to settle down, settle down, yeah. you're just gonna like you you will blow it. Yeah. And I say that because I've done it oh many more times than yeah. I would like to. Uh, but the 10k gives you a lot more flexibility than sure you does. the 5k. The yep. flex, you know, on a 5k, mentally you look down after a kilometer or a mile, depending on how you're measuring. And that's a big chunk of your race gone. Whereas you've got a lot more options to recover and fix what's gone wrong in a 10K. Mm. You know, 10Ks, you know, tend to have, um, in some cases, even an aid station in them. Yep. Like you shouldn't need a gel for fuel if you're running a 10K or no. a 5K, but there could be a water station on a 10K, especially if it's more of a community event. Yeah. So you can use that and bring that into your strategy as well. I kind yeah. of, for me personally, if the race is less than two hours, I generally won't fuel. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll just focus on my pre-race nutrition. Even for a 5K, if I'm trying to really PB a 5K, mm. a normal 5K, yeah, sure, I'll run that fasted. Yeah. I, I, I will run up to 25 kilometers fasted usually. Yeah. But if I'm going for a good effort, I won't. Yeah. Even on a 5K, I'll eat something beforehand. But I think up to a half marathon, I'm probably not fueling during. Yeah. No. Once, once I go past the half marathon mark and past that two hours, that's when I start. I've fueled on half marathons before, and it's useful, but it's not essential. Mm. You know, if you're if you're not someone who likes to fuel, I wouldn't say fueling is going to make or break your half no. marathon strategy no. or half marathon pacing. And of course, it depends on how long you think you're going to be out there too. Yeah, true. If, you know? I, I'm saying if you're doing a half yeah, marathon and, and you're going between like one thirty and yeah. two hours. If you're going over two hours, that's different. You're at right. that point, the body needs some help. And yeah. if that's the case, then you're actually you're. Just keep in mind, folks, that if you're going over two hours, you're fueling before you get to that two-hour mark. Yeah, you're not just starting to fuel at two hours. No. If, you, if you're going to be out there for over two hours, you're fueling at 45 minutes, then an hour and a half, and then depending on where you're up to, thinking about two hours, 15, yeah. something like that. That's about right. You know, um, whereas if you're finishing in an hour 40, there's no point really fueling because you've got 90 minutes yeah. in the bank anyway. Another 10 minutes won't make that much of a difference. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sure, it could be good for mental health. Something mental, to do. Yeah, something to do. Yeah. You know, because, you know, you're out there for a couple of hours. Uh, but yeah. it's it's not... But, you know, if you're running a fast-ish... For an amateur, a, a fast half marathon, yeah. two hours and under, you probably don't need to fuel. Yeah. But, you know, that that that's... 
doesn't work for everybody. Some people might need yeah. to. Yeah. Now, now, a 10K event in that first couple of kilometers, it is going to be tougher because they're going to be bigger events. There's going to yes. be more people. Yeah. And so 10 kilometers is really tough in that the start can make so much more of a difference. Like on an event like Melbourne Marathon or Melbourne Half Marathon, the first 5Ks are trash. <laughs> So it's just really hard. You're weaving through crowds. You're you're zigzagging. You'll end up running five and a half, six kilometers in the first five kilometers because you're zigzagging all over the place. You're mm. tripping over people's feet. Um, a lot of the 10Ks are not much smaller. No. But if you spend 5Ks finding a nice place to run and have enough space to run and find your pace in a 10K at the 5K mark, mm. you've only got half the race to go. Yeah. So that's why you need to also really think about um, with a 10K, with your pacing strategy, you know, manage it um try and work out a way that you can safely get to that pacing strategy you don't have 5k's to play with in a 10k you've got time in a half marathon you can get to a half marathon 5k mm. mark and be a minute off your pace two minutes off your pace you can fix that in a half marathon really hard to do that in a 10k yeah in a 10k you've probably got about two to four kilometers to play with yeah very yeah. four is high end of yeah. the spectrum you know if you're if you're trying to negative split it that that will give you a little bit more bang for your buck if you yeah. go past the four kilometer mark. But yeah, in a, in a five k, you've got about a kilometer. You don't even have a kilometer. You're five minutes. Yeah, yeah, you've got. Yeah, yeah. I I would say the the thing about a five k, you don't really have time to screw around and no. find a pace, but you do have to figure out what that first pace will be. Yeah. You cannot go over your pace, but you also don't want to go too much under yeah. your pace because you won't have time to fix it. And so if you are worried about your pacing strategy, you have two options. One, respectfully be a dick about it and push forward to the front so that you're not going to get blocked behind people. Mm. Or forget about the gun time, wait back and start later knowing that whilst the people ahead of you will be spread out more, you will have the entire field in front of you. Yeah. So it's what do you want to do? Do you want to fight your way to the front at the start of the event and start at the front. And, and to be honest, one of the worst things you can do is get to the front of a race like that, take off, and then get overrun by a whole bunch of people yeah. behind you who are faster. So you need to be realistic about your pace as well. And I have, I personally have no, especially if, like if I'm doing a Spartan mm. and it's a competitive Spartan, I have no problem if somebody is blocking my way to just be like, excuse me, let me pass. Because especially like if, if it's a, it's a competitive wave that maybe mm. has started a little bit after uh, the age uh, at the open waves or something and somebody's just getting in my way yeah i'm just like you know what this is for time let me yeah. pass you because i'm obviously going faster and the same thing on a road race like yeah. you probably won't need to do it because there's a little bit more space yeah. but that said like if somebody's just like in your way and you cannot pass them because there's wall-to-wall people totally okay to say excuse me excuse me passing yeah. passing you've trained hard you've paid that you've paid the same entrance fee they have yeah you've trained just as hard if not harder if you're able to go faster so you should take the opportunity to to be good about your right. race but at the same time don't be that person yeah don't be a dick about it don't be don't be that person who's blocking someone oh else. yeah definitely don't do that yeah don't do either of those things yeah and, yeah. and make be sure nice to each other when they let you pass and they probably will yeah say thank you you know, say thank you. You'd probably be out of breath, but do say thank you. Good job. Thanks. Keep going. Peace yeah. out. Uh, I will see you at the finish line. Yeah. Um, or you will pass me in about 10 minutes because I'm yeah. going too fast. Exactly. Also a possibility. Because I didn't listen to this podcast. Exactly. So you should listen to this podcast. Well, if they don't listen, they're not going to hear me tell them to listen. Well, yeah. So for those of you who did listen, thank you. Thank you. I didn't mm. think that one through. No. That was a good time. Pacing's tough. Yeah, it is. And, and this is why, um, like Andrew said, rehearsing the race mm. in your head beforehand is so important. You have got to use those workouts that you have done leading up to the race because they're not just there to, of course, they're there to make you faster, make you stronger, but they're also there to gauge what your effort should be on race day. Mm. They tell you a lot. Don't just do a 400-meter interval and think you're just doing it for speed. No, you're doing that so that you figure out what effort you can and should be giving on race day. Pay yeah. attention to that. Don't don't just make it up, yeah. you know. just You've been running at, you know, a four-minute kilometer for 400-meter intervals, and you go to a 5K race, and you start out at 3.30 pace. Are you yeah. goddamn kidding me? Yeah. Like, that's stupid. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> pay, pay attention to well, something that I find to help me find my race pace. And, and, again, this is just for me, but it's worked a lot to a point where it's almost become a rule for me. When you go to the, the track or the oval or whatever and you do your interval workout, you'll run at a certain speed and you'll be pushing it. And then afterwards, go do a cool down. Yeah. Run some cool down. What you will find is that your body will naturally fall into a pace 
where you'll sit there and you'll go, wow, this feels so much easier and so much quicker than when I go out on a Sunday long run. When you start a Sunday long run, you're like, I'm stiff, I'm sore, I'm cold. Yeah. You can sometimes struggle to find, say, 5.30 pace. But sometimes after going to the track and doing, you know, pushing yourself, doing sub-fours, I'll settle into a five-minute pace, no problem. Mm. I've often found that that's a good indicator of my race pace is yep. because your race pace is you're energised, you're prepped properly because you've done a paper, you've done a workout before a race, you're fueled, you've got the adrenaline in you. It's going to feel much, much better than a Sunday long run. Yeah. So it's not going to be as fast as a track thing, but it's going to be around about there. So if you're looking to sort of ball park, what do you think uh, a race pace could be? Look at your cool down after an interval workout. Science why it tends to be around about that. And then don't figure that out the last interval run before the race. Mm. Figure that out during your training routine and go out and try a tempo run at that pace. Yeah. Try running for 10 kilometers, 20 kilometers, or try doing a long run, but doing the last quarter of that long run at that pace mm. and see if it works. My maths or my the way my body works might be completely different to yours, but if you don't have a plan, try mine. Fair enough. Yeah. That's a good call. Mm. Well, do we have anything else we want to say about pacing or no. tapering or... No, pacing starts with P for preparation. That it does. And taper starts with T for terrible. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible feelings. Yeah, but you have to do it. Yeah, exactly. Necessary evil. Don't over taper and don't pace too fast at the front, like my daddy used to say. It's a weird thing for daddy to say. Yeah, it was always odd. Cool. Was he a runner? No, not at all. Definitely a weird thing for daddy to say. All right, well, I guess on that note... (laughs) We're into daddy issues now. Great times had by all. So (laughs) I'll be sending Zach to the therapist. I will see you, whoever I see. Hopefully I see some of you on Sunday at the Run Melbourne. Yes, what time does it start? My half starts at 6.45. 6.45? That sucks. That's pre-sunrise. It's pre-me being awake, too. Wow. You're driving in? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'll go in with Aaron. And I I said to Aaron, I said, look, best case scenario... This thing starts at 6.45. I'm going to be done before 8.30. Yeah. You don't, like, you'll be still asleep. You don't have to come with me. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, no, no. I want to come with you and be with you at the finish line. I'm like, that's that's all. You know, I, she can go get breakfast and coffee and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I just really appreciate that. Like, mm-hmm. there's no reason that she has to get up. Because like, I'm going to get up at 5. Yeah. And I'll leave 5.30. Yeah. And so that means she's going to be doing the same thing. So shout out to baby. Um, but yeah, so... It's good she's getting that rehearsal in because my family will not come to me at Melbourne Marathon, so I'm going to need her as well. Fair so enough. Yeah, you, you, you can have her. Thanks. You, use her. Mm-hmm. Well, you, can, you can lease her out. Okay. That's a weird thing to say. Also, we're all going to therapy today. Okay. That was great. <laughs> so, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Breaking the Barrier podcast where we hope to see you out in the trails, the roads, and the treadmills being inappropriate and awkward just like I am. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time. Oh my god.